paving parking lots and putting up paradise. <laughs> Fuck it, do that. All right. <laughs> okay. Um Hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that's paving a parking lot and putting up paradise. I'm Max. And I'm JR. Welcome to the Watcher's Guide, the only show that starts with a Joni Mitchell lyric. Um, <laughs> uh, a bastardization of a of Joni, Joni Mitchell, Mitchell lyric. lyric. Uh, did I say Joni Mitchell or y- Billy Joel? Y- you said Joni Mitchell. Okay. I just suddenly, like, I don't know. My brain is weird. How's it going? It's going. Are you okay? I'm tired. I, I, uh, I've been taking, like, anti-inflammatories and, uh, muscle relaxers for my back, and they fuck me up. Like, I wake up in the morning, and I feel hungover, and, like, (laughs) just generally shitty. Uh. I've heard that with muscle relaxers, that they're just so fucking weird. Like, you'll well, take them and you're immediately zonked, and then you can't sleep at night. Like, it's, yeah, it's a mess. And, uh, even, even last night, I slept. Like, I didn't wake up a lot like I had been on them. Uh, but I still, I wake up and I'm just like, uh. And yeah, you you take them and like when they kick in, you're just like I go to sleep. I I was taking them and one night I was laying there in bed with Casey and I started telling her about meeting Alan Thick. Uh back when I was a kid. <laughs> like like <laughs> I unprompted this was yeah, just, it now was it's just time like, for the story for about Alan Thick. Yeah. Uh, about how, like, uh, you know, Two Rivers, the psychiatric hospital? Sure. When that opened back in the 90s, uh, they, my, my grandmother, uh, my grandmother was really big in NAMI, the National Association for Mental Illness. Okay. Um or whatever and when that opened we went to the opening and it was a big deal and they had uh brian busby and alan thick there (laughs) and i got i met alan thick and got a signed picture from him and i was like laying there in bed completely out of it just telling casey about how i used to have a signed photo of alan thick and how i regret getting rid of it uh (laughs) and like and then like I just passed out, like, holding up my... Like, I was looking at my phone, and I, like, passed (laughs) out with my arm posted up, still holding the phone. And, like, she took it out of my hand and set it on her nightstand, and I still just laid there with my hand. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, it fucked me up, but, um... We watched the, uh, the Guy Ritchie king arthur last night uh yeah i saw your twitter about that oh my god it is it is a really fresh take on king arthur 
which is to say it is what if king arthur were a character in a guy ritchie film <laughs> right <laughs> and then at the end he fought shao khan from mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> It was so awful, and I'm just like, can we, can we stop, please? Please stop. Yeah. I don't want to see this shit anymore. Between this and the Robin Hood with Taron Edgerton in it, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, like. Who who directed that Robin Hood? Who cares? (laughs) Um, I... I feel like if you if your idea of updating the source material is to find the universal themes in a story that still that are still relevant and then build off of that cool make a king arthur or a robin hood movie if your idea of making a an old story relevant is what if we treat bows and arrows like guns? Don't. Yeah. (laughs) Just don't. Because I swear to, I swear to God, there is a scene in the Guy Ritchie, uh, King Arthur movie where little Fringer from game of Thrones is part of this plot. They have to assassinate the King. And he's taking out a longbow to try and shoot him from a window 175 yards away. And he's treating the bow like it's a scene where, like, the sniper is putting together his rifle. Like, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) We don't need that. (laughs) No. This is not how you do this. No. What do you do? And there, there's like scenes during the battle because the whole thing is like Excalibur, like kind of fights for you or like improves. Like. Okay, sure. There are scenes in it that are these heavily CGI'd battle scenes that are like on Zack that are like Zack Snyder on Coke. Because they're, they're like faster than his slow, fast, uh, slow, yeah. fast, but like faster than the way Zack Snyder does them. And so it's like, oh, wow. Oh, no, don't do this. Do not do this. What are you doing? It's I don't so know what awful. happened. I don't know what happened to Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Like. I enjoyed The Gentleman. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the man from Uncle. I I thought oh, the man yeah. from Uncle was good and deserves a sequel. But like, there were gonna be six King Arthur movies. Yeah, six. That's too many. I watched two hours, and I was just like, wow. I could have done literally anything else. I could have improved myself incrementally. And instead I did this. Anyway. Comics. News. Yeah. News. News. Uh, well, do we have news? Well, 
I mean, there's a there's a thing I feel like we could talk about how it's a thing that happened. Okay. I don't I don't think I don't know if we're the right people to comment on it, but we can talk about the criticism. Sure. Okay. So a there was an issue of Miles Morales Spider-Man, issue number nine, that came out last year. And a few days ago, apparently, some people on Twitter pointed out that in the original solicit artwork, which is to say the artwork that came out, that they put out that did not have, like, the Spider-Man logo or the, the dressing on it. Sure. Had Spider-Man swinging over head and next to him, it's sort of like below him, above the viewer, is a uh, a pedestrian signal. Um, but instead of a red person or a red hand saying don't walk, mm-hmm. it's a red fist like the Black Lives Matter uh, icon. I don't want to say logo because I don't know if That's, it's a full-blown logo, but... I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, um, it's, icon- it's iconography, but not, like... Uh, right. A, it's not assigned, approved, inherent, that kind of thing. Yeah, and when I say Codified. icon, that's not to say iconic, but a yeah. a piece of Black Lives Matter iconography. Yeah. Um. But that in the finished cover, with all the dressing as it appeared on the issue, that was edited out completely. They didn't replace it with the red stop hand or even the white person walking. It was just blank. Um, And they're just like, hey, this is a black character uh, in then 2019. Um, What's wrong with having... I mean, even even if Marvel is not like yes, we approve of Black Lives Matter. Like, having a black character that's yeah. like, hey, Black Lives Matter, uh, that's not unreasonable. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Well, so, and the, isn't this entire creative team... Of color? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Because it's, the, it's the Saladin Ahmed, uh, Javier Garon... And David Curiel. Sure. So, Maybe. there you go. Maybe. I don't know. <clears throat> um, so, people are pointing it out. I, you know, I get Disney being gun-shy. It's not to say... I mean, ultimately... Ultimately, what it comes down to for me is if if a company does something good, hooray. If they don't, that's not to say that's not to say you can't call out companies that do things wrong. Like Calling out companies that are like actively making things shittier. Yeah, 
calling it called never eating never eating at chick-fil-a again and also tell reminding people that they're amazingly homophobic like as as a company structure is something good to do right if a if a company just avoids doing a good thing to avoid causing waves i'm also kind of just like yeah but also like companies aren't your friend like well yeah you know ultimate ultimately like if a company does something progressive that is good and should be mentioned as being good but also bear in mind unless you are a stockholder in a company that company does not give a flying fuck about you yeah it's transactional they're yeah. only doing that good thing because they think that it will make them money. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Nev- never forget that if they, if, like, Pride got really popular and now a lot of companies are involved in Pride, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's why. Because it got very popular and widely accepted by the mainstream so that they thought, well, hey, here's a place we could make money. Duh. <laughs> like, this, yeah. isn't, and- this is not, it doesn't make them any more or less allies it's just that's what they do yeah <coughs> if a if a company does work for the lgbt community all year long cool yeah that's a that's a probably a good company at least in that vein that's not to say they don't get up to other shady shit but you know, if a if a company comes out with a with a Pride flag logo during Pride, yeah, okay, that's that's bare minimum right there. You don't really get a yeah. You, you don't and, get much out of that. Out of me, it's anyway. One of the, it's one of those things that looking at looking at Marvel, um. Marvel's progressivism is situational and inconsistent. Oh, to say the very least. (laughs) Um, Because, like, one... Like, I always found it really funny uh, during, I think, Fear Itself when there is a scene where the Avengers are, are... talking on a rooftop and like Tony Stark goes very Occupy Wall Street and I'm just kind of like Tony Stark is the type of person people are protesting against that's not to say Tony Stark doesn't do good but like when people bitch about the 1% they're bitching about Tony Stark what the fuck are you doing yeah, they're talking about him. So, you know, I I certainly I certainly think that it is a conversation that should be had, and I think why Marvel decided to actively edit it out is yeah. something that needs to be addressed. Sure. Um but also like manage your expectations i guess is what i is what i'm getting at is yeah like 
Marvel Marvel is superheroes are generally progressive by their very uh nature. Right. Um but by the same token Marvel and especially Marvel now which is incredibly is much more in mainstream than it's ever been at any point in its history uh I wouldn't go looking for anything incredibly radical from Marvel in general if it happens cool but I'm not going to be like expecting it no no <laughs> so. and especially definitely not in the Kate books and definitely not in the 616 if they were to do if they were to do something crazy progressive um in any vein it would probably be you know a spin-off or you know some other outside thing or a different imprint or something else right but like yeah. um if you're looking for it in the main in the main series or like in the main universe i, I i'm gonna disappoint you there they're gonna be real slow yeah and yeah wildly inconsistent as they usually are so I mean, bearing in mind that Marvel has been run for some time by Ar- Ike Perlmutter. I don't know how to say his last name. Perlmutter. Perlmutter. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they're owned by Disney. Um, yeah, no. I, I, I am honestly surprised that Marvel even released preview art that had a Black Lives Matter logo in there. Yeah. So, um, no, they're, I mean, they protect, they protect their, their golden egg, especially when it comes to the comics, which aren't making as much money as they could be. And well, maybe not could be, but like if you're Disney and you look at the movies and then you look at the comics and you're like, I guess we need these. Like, but it seems very vestigial if you're comparing uh, income. And, yeah. uh, but that doesn't mean they don't treat it as important because I do think they actually understand that they need the comics to continue to stay fresh and lively. Otherwise, they're going to not have anything for the movies. So, back and forth, back and forth. I don't know. They're symbiotic at this point. Whatever. I, I sound dumb. Uh, no, I... I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure whether or not I I'm not sure whether or not I am 100% on board with that idea but that's not to say you're wrong it's just I don't I really don't know like well and I don't either um, you can't we can't know what the hell is going on <coughs> that high up with mm. the decision making process like if this were a DC podcast, we'd have a hell of a lot of news this week, but uh, it's well, not. yeah, and of a, but of course, you know, I mean, the DC thing is the DC thing is a problem when it comes to comic skaters are trying to claim that as evidence yeah. of everything they've been saying, which is bullshit. It is, because 
if you treat <clears throat> comic skaters look at the at comics publishing as its own thing and it's not dc comics publishing is an arm of the publishing industry which has been suffering yeah um taken in that regard it's not sjw's that are ruining comics if the comics industry is hurting it's because everything is hurting in the case of dc uh restructuring warner brothers in general restructured if it were just dc that was having those restructuring things then okay but like there were a lot of people fired across wb yeah. it was it was 18 it was at&t restructuring warner brothers right which and, which included a restructure of dc like right that's and it's because this pandemic has hit them really fucking hard yeah uh you know kurt Busick did a whole thing about it um that i thought was very apt yeah. did you see the I saw most of it. I don't think I read all of it. So the upshot of it is, you know, comics fans will look at um, what happens in comics and they'll say, well, so Ace the Bat Hound and Crypto and, I don't know, Gary the Super Hound or whatever it was, um, all came out in a, within this span and was it the success of this that caused this to happen? But he's like, you know, if you look at the larger zeitgeist, you have Lassie, you have Rin Tin Tin. Comics did those things because those other things were happening. And so you, when you talk about the DC restructuring, you can't just talk about it within the context of DC because that's not all that's happening. Yeah. And so, you know, we in the we in the comics industry tend to look at things from a very myopic point of view. And I try, when we're doing this show, to talk about the other stuff that was going on at the time and, like, where this shit is coming from. And when you look at, like, when you look at like Shang-Chi and, um, and, uh, Iron Fist and Sons of the Tiger and blah, blah, blah. You cannot talk about those within the context of just those things. You have yeah. to talk about it within the context of the, the martial arts boom in the 70s and yeah. like all of these other things you can't just be looking at it about like well did iron fist come about because shang chi had succeeded no they all came about because of bruce fucking lee and all of these <laughs> other things like what the fuck are you talking about and so this is the same sort of thing but whatever yeah. um that's my entirely off topic rant um Anyway, comics. Let's sure. get into this Inhumans heavy week. I mean, we only read one issue of Inhumans this week, but they were in a lot of shit. And I'm, yeah. I am. Anyway, Inhumans number 12 has a cover by Al Milgram and Gaspar Saladino and is written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Keith Pollard, inked by Bob Wachek. 
uh, colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Denise Wall, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Uh, the most of the inhuman royal family is skulking around uh, the streets of New York. Black Bolt is just kind of off, like flying around. Uh, and so Medusa scales the Baxter building, finds that the Fantastic Four aren't there, presumably because they're currently broken up. Um, and uh, she's like, well, no go there. And so she comes back down. The Inhumans start making their way uh, to the UN building. Uh, yeah, because that's where they're going to meet um, Blackwalt to talk trying, about what happened at Adelan, I think. Or no, the attack. Trying to get help. Trying to yeah. get help from somebody. Um, and so... There's your standard inhuman stuff where it's like the cab is stuck in traffic, so Gorgon gets out and does his stompy and clears the traffic, and Medusa's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I have one thing. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, they're on their way. They fight the Hulk. It goes pretty much the way you'd expect uh, in that it goes, like, it goes poorly until Black Bolt gets into it. And then they he manages to put the kibosh on Hulk. And then after it's all said and done, Hulk is just like, I realize now you my friends. Okay, bye. After and in the midst of all of that, we are reminded of the giant roach man. Uh, and he is set free from his weird prison, weird jail cell they've got him in. Um, that's That's all. But, like, pretty sure this is the last issue of this book. Of the Inhumans book? Yeah, I don't um, doubt. And so, the... The... There was a lot of final... The cockroach guy thing. Yeah, this is the last issue. And... I really don't care. Like, I'm not going to miss this book all that much. Like, there were a couple things here and there where I was just like, oh, that's surprisingly good. But otherwise, I don't give a shit. Um, and during, throughout all of this, I forget, does this issue have... What's-his-nuts? The, uh, the Cree dude that keeps showing the fuck up. Yeah, it does. Uh, um, he's the, he's waiting back at the hotel with Lockjaw. Yeah, and Lockjaw's like just Kieran like, I'm going to teleport away. Falzon, yeah. Falzon, yeah. Falzon. The way, the way it's typed, it always looks like Fazon. Yeah. And all I can think of is the guy who played Turk on Scrubs. Uh, because oh, yeah. of it I'm like oh yeah <laughs> anyway um whatever I do not I do not care I do not fucking care about any of this and then also uh back at Adelan there's some asshole who's like uh, it's uh, no that's it's two assholes and one of them is Pietro 
Um, well, but like, yeah. He, but, like, he's he's pissed because there's some other guy, some other dude that I think maybe we've met before who's, like, taking an active interest in reconstructing Adelan. And it's like, let him, let him do it. Fine. If he wants to play leader, well, he, and he's, like, afraid that this guy's gonna try to usurp Black Bolt when he comes back. And I'm like, this guy's basically just a lion dude. Let him go. Uh, this is actually his first appearance. Um, but, like, Thraxen? Thraxen, he, yeah, he's, like, he's, like, building a bunch of shit, and the the problem is that, like, at this point in time, Quicksilver is incredibly suspicious of him. But we're not given any reason for why no. he's suspicious of him. Yeah. It's just like, Thraxen is over here doing what needs to be done. What is your fucking problem? Right. But Quicksilver is just like, we're going to have to watch him. And and uh, Crystal's just like, well, Iridia trusts him. And Quicksilver's like, well, Iridia's an idiot. <laughs> and... Uh, Whatever I, I in looking in looking at like a uh, a wiki page for this dude, he is up to some shit. But like, we can't know that based on anything concrete at this point. All we have to go on is Quicksilver's suspicion, and Quicksilver's an asshole. So whatever. Um. I don't. I genuinely just don't give a shit about Inhumans right now. Go away, Inhumans. But anyway, Spectacular Spider-Man number eleven. Speaking of the Inhumans, has a cover by Al Milgram and is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Jim Moody, Mooney, uh, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by T.S. Chu, lettered by Bruce Patterson, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Um, Basically, dudes be... The short version is this. Peter Parker and Mary Jane were on a, out on a date when they were shoved out of the way of this chemical truck by this other kid. The kid grabs, grabs onto the truck and the driver had had like a heart attack or whatever. He tries to um, prevent it from hitting anyone. He succeeds but winds up being thrown through the uh the windshield in addition the um truck was hauling chemicals the kid was doused in them and so they have to find something that will counteract everything that he was exposed to or he's gonna die not only of his injuries but also just everything else (laughs) yeah so no superpowers for him yeah doesn't it's not like he can eat anything now (laughs) um so, Peter's like, well, I'm going to go make sure that antidote gets here in time. So he goes swinging off his Spider-Man. He goes to find the truck that is bringing the antidote, finds it smashed up. Uh, in the This puts him at odds with Medusa of the Inhuman Royal Family. They fight, they fight, they fight. Whatever. <coughs> um, She's got the vial... He tracks her down to a warehouse near Coney Island. Uh, at the end of it, 
it turns out she needed the same antidote for something that Falzon had fallen ill with while he was working on this bomb they'd found. Well, because the bomb had, like, some sort of fail-safe protection okay. that exposed him to a green nerve agent. And okay. the only way to cure him of the nerve agent was the same antidote that Peter needs to save this kid. So they give Falzon the a little bit in order to counteract the nerve agent he was exposed to. So then Black Bolt takes the vial the rest of the vial and flies it to the hospital they get there and the doctor's just like well uh the good news is we got it to him in time and he seems to be doing well we're kind of just gonna have to wait and see how things work out but at the very least this part isn't actively killing him and at the end of it gorgon's just like okay but like he's one dude Falzon was like saving the entire world and Spider-Man's like you know what <laughs> like and yeah but also like I so. like Peter's get Peter and Gorgon going at it at the very end is fun yeah uh, <laughs> does anyone it's... else wish Triton had a personality <laughs> yeah he's really he's usually like the the calmest head of the group but he never says anything like when he speaks it's like hey everybody let's just chill out and think this through and we'll go through it but like i never he never really gets to talk yeah like the only the only personality he has is he's the peacemaker right like Unless other people are fighting, Triton's just there in the background and he's just like, his per his personality most of the time is, and I'm here too. <laughs> like, you know. I'm the swimmy one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fuck. Like, I'd take anything at this point. Like, yeah. anything. You know. I mean, there was that issue of Avengers, like, a year and a half ago that we read where he was stalking his way up to the mansion after like that was cool but i he's done jack shit since because he needed to go to the event like maximus had taken over and kicked them out or imprisoned them or something and he'd gotten away and swam all the way to um nothing okay i don't it was a mm. it was a cool page. All right, the, moving the on. The frustrating thing about it is what's the Inhumans are at their most interesting when Gorgon's being an asshole, Karnak is being like arrogant, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and like. They remember the Gorgon being an asshole part, but, like, Karnak is just kind of there, and Medusa's just, like, whatever the story needs her to be yeah. most of the time. Especially like, this time, yeah. <sighs> whatever. Um, Captain Marvel, number 52. 
has a cover by Al Milgram and Terry Austin, and is written by Scott Edelman, penciled by Al Milgram, uh, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Irene Vartanoff, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Um, this issue, I'm trying to find the stuff here. Hold on. Well, it starts with Marvel returning from the Mercurio's dimension, uh, having beaten him up, and oh, yeah. uh, okay. and Rick is imprisoned by Doctor Minerva, and the Teen Brigade, the middle-aged man brigade, is <laughs> uh, is convinced that he's still been kidnapped uh marvell sees minerva's ship crashes it or smashes into it, it smashes into it like... minerva tries to uh capture him she finally eventually we learn what her master plan here is and that was a poor choice of words basically it's the bene Gesserit uh breeding program and that if that's too obtuse for you, she's trying to build the perfect Cree with uh not even not even the perfect Cree, because because the thing you have to understand about the Cree is that they are an evolutionary dead end. Yeah. Um they are they they have kind of reached they have evolved as far as they are going to. And that's where a lot of the Cree animosity comes from is the fact that uh, that the the other races of the universe are like going to surpass them no matter what they do and so they're just, they are they are generally just like oh you think you're better than me what if I nuke your fucking ass and that's basically what it comes down to and so Minerva's whole thing here is if I've been studying all the angles here and I think my purely my purely scientific absolutely considered opinion is you and I need to get freaky yeah uh so that we can jumpstart the evolution of the Cree um to which Marvel goes uh no no no, because you kidnapped my friend. <laughs> you, if you wanted that, you could have just asked. As is all I'm saying. Like there were ways to go about this that did yeah. not involve abducting my friend. But the thing is, her abducting Rick. She because he and Marvel were joined. Rick was her fallback. <laughs> she was going to fuck. It. I love this plan. The fallback plan is to liquefy Rick, <laughs> remove... Toss him in a juicer. <laughs> yeah, remove any RNA that might have been altered by having... Or by the bond with Marvel. Yeah. And she just points that. She's like, oh, I mean, he would have been pulped, but uh, I would have gotten that DNA. And, okay. and Marvel's like, or don't. Sorry. Yeah. I I was in another dimension at the time when you showed up. I, I I'm back now though. 
we don't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. Um. So, in the process but, of this yeah. confrontation, uh, Minerva Minerva gets a uh, a message from Fedor of the Cree Science Council, who says, "Yeah, no, scrap your bullshit. We don't care. Bring Marvel to Hala." We need to, we have a way to deal with the War of the Three Galaxies, but we need Marvell. And so, Fedor winds up projecting this energy avatar that fights Marvell. Marvell brings the ship down in order to defeat him, at the end of which he comes out carrying Rick Jones, and uh, Rick Jones' cop buddy. Uh, and the entire police force surround him, and they're just like, put the kid down! <laughs> and everything, which... Fine. Um, Marvell yep. does not know what... Uh, what Fedor is talking about as far as the War of the Three Galaxies. We'll get it. He'll learn in the next issue, but like... It's the Skrulls, dude. It's always the Skrulls. If the Kree are talking about a war, assume it's against the Skrulls. And be surprised. Nine times out of ten, yeah. you'll be right. And that one time, like, that one time will be a fun, like, oh man, I did not see that coming. It's the Shi'ar? Like, weird. Um. So, yeah. So, Captain Marvel number three has a cover by Dave Cockrum, Gil Kane, Frank Giacoya, Mike Esposito, and Irving Watanabe, and is inked by Terry Austin, Bob Wachek, and El Milgram, and colored by Ellen Vartanoff and Irene Vartanoff. Uh, this issue, the cops have surrounded Marvell, and he's like, you've got it all wrong, and they're like, ha fuck you, alien. Uh, but then Rick comes to and he tells his friend, what? No, what are you doing? He didn't, he rescued me from being kidnapped. Um, but then he's like, uh, okay, I do love this. After he explains that they're, you know, he rescued me from the kidnappers. Everyone's like, well, okay, nothing to do here. Bye. And they all fuck off. Every, like, the goddamn army was here, and the NYPD, and yeah. they all fuck off. Giant goddamn space spaceship crashed in the background, and everyone's like, well, alright, bye. And they it's just not their leave. job to clean it up. I guess not. They just leave, and uh, that's when Marvell digs Minerva out of the wreckage. And the like, NYPD Please. has to get back to shooting minorities. The <coughs> thing is, uh, like, I do, the thing, one thing I do like is that... <laughs> Uh, the friend is like, so then who kidnapped you? And Rick is just like, this Cree lady, Minerva, she's back in the, and Marvel's like, she escaped. And yeah. Rick's like, yeah, she escaped. And uh, so after they fuck off, Marvel digs Minerva out and he's just like, okay, so tell me what's going on. Um, at that point, um, <clears throat> the uh, 
at that point, he's like, okay. So he, he winds up, I guess, dumping Minerva back on the farm where, uh, where Ronan is off doing chores. Um, so they, they get ready to take off and, but they are grabbed by, um, Medusa. Medusa. Who ends up, and then the Inhumans explain what, what the hell is going on. Yeah. Um, and so we have a big, we have a big discussion between both, between everybody and Marvel's like, what we'll do. Got to head to the Watchers uh, Citadel on the moon. He has a transporter that can take me to Hala. And the Inhumans are like, cool, let's do it. And Black Bolt's just, uh, just like gestures at them. So Lockjaw teleports Black Bolt and... Um, and uh, Marvell to the moon they take the transporter and they arrive they head off for Hala we switch to Hala and the Cree Science Council is just like so Marvell is a no-go plan B plan B plan B plan B and everybody's like yeah plan B let's blow him the fuck up and so they're about to press the button that sends the order when Marvell and Black Bolt show up um <coughs> They there's a big fight. Uh, Marvel and Fedor are separated from the bulk of everything that's going on. What winds up happening is Black Bolt is brought down and he is dragged in to where Marvel is. Um, Fedor talks about how he's going to plug Marvel into the chair that will blah blah blah. Who cares? Um, the truth chair um but in the process marvell uses his cosmic awareness and he's just like you know what no we're not going to do that and uh he winds up knocking he winds up allowing himself to get grabbed but only so that he can get close enough to knock councilman Porbat into the chair and then it turns out that poor bat is actually a scroll who has infiltrated the Cree Science Council. It was all going to be a trap. As soon as the Cree tried to attack the scroll, the scroll would intercept them and wipe them the fuck out and blah blah blah. So at the end of this, Fedor is just like, Oh my god, what are we doing? Uh that was very nearly a mistake. But make no mistake here, we will be wiping out the scrolls. Of that, there can be no question. And Marvel's like, "Well, at the very least, you're not doing it. You've stopped this specific, yeah, avenue of attack. So that's something." And so Marvel and Black Bolt leave. the The thing, the thing that I find frustrating, is that, uh Marvel. Marvel and Black Bolt treated as though now that poor bot has been outed, they are now going to just leave shit alone. 
And it's like, yeah, poor bot was kind of pushing them in this direction. But, like, the Kree don't need a lot of help to help hate the Skrulls. And they're not they going to just And they don't need a lot of reason to attack. Like, yeah. now, now they just can do it without getting trapped in that attack like yeah whatever like, reason they were wanting to blow up the scree or the scrolls still exists um it's about uh root causes here my friends and uh their hatred goes back so far that you you can't like that's well, the thing they're going to destroy each other is all i can the message all i the can end. think about is is you know when it comes to like the invasions of iraq and afghanistan Sure. They were all predicated on a lie. Yeah. But once once that lie was exposed, it didn't just end. Like yeah. it was we didn't pull out or anything. Oh like, no, my bad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just like, wait, that was a lie? Okay. No, it was like, well that was a lie, but we're kind of invested in what was going on now, so I mean we Whoops. gotta see it through. Yeah. And so this idea that because that specific dude turned out to be a scroll, we're going to pack it all in seems questionable. Uh, uh, well, um, optimistic at best. Uh, Naive. Yeah. It would probably be a fairer assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whatever. Um and Moving then we right get a bit of a throwaway here. Uh, I don't know. Moving right along. Captain Marvel, number 54, has a cover by Keith Pollard and is penciled by George Tuska, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Irene Vartanoff, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Karen D. Um, the, the thing is... I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say because on the one hand, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a throwaway. In that, I actually kind of forgot until just now that this issue even happened. <laughs> um, but like, is that fair? I don't know. So, okay. First of all, who is this? who is this woman the one that's like really upset yeah about rick yeah uh has she been in this book before sure gertie uh gert i honest to god was like where the hell did you come from but i mean there's so many love interests with Rick that well, it's yeah. difficult to keep that straight but anyway it doesn't matter so, so uh, she, Nitro, com- Nitro she, comes back to Earth after she, she actually did appear uh, as of Captain Marvel number 50 so okay she's a recent addition so I don't blame you for not remembering her at all uh, but yeah Nitro Nitro had to run Nitro had had a run-in with Omega the Unknown, uh, during which Omega prevented him from reforming after exploding. 
So he's been, like, trying to pull himself back together. He's now a purple gas uh, that arrives back on Earth and reforms. Uh, he and Marvel fight. I love. I love the fact that he fought. <clears throat> it, at least in the box text, it's, it's explained that he fought Omega because the Omega's costume is very similar to Marvel's, and he just thought it was him, and or at least connected like, to him somehow. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and like, I'm just like, R- really? Then maybe you need to redesign Omega. That says something bad. If your if your villain is like. Oh, you look like him. I'm going to blow you. Oh, you're not him. Oh, well, yeah. I'm still going to blow you up. Yeah. That's kind of what I do. But uh, the the upshot of this is that Marvel is able. Marvel is initially struggling against Nitro because he was in their last meeting. He was able to use uh, the. Uh, he was able to slam the negabands together, the energy output output of which uh, disrupted Nitro from reforming. Uh, he does not have that as an option anymore, but what he's able to do is he grabs the remains of a tanker truck and uses them to... He, like, slams it down as Nitro is reforming so that the, uh, the, the two masses of Nitro particles are prevented from getting to each other and reforming him. He's the, he then is just like, I'll call the Avengers. And, uh, that's fair. Um, whatever. At the end of this, he walks away and he's just kind of like, well, now what do I do? Um, I mean, that's the majority of this issue really is him like wandering around and trying to decide who Marvel is now. Yeah. He's been Marvel, the soldier. He's been Marvel, the tied to a teenage boy. Uh, he's been all these things who is he now what does he want outside of continuing to be a superhero right and i guess we do more of that in the next issue don't we right but uh that brings us to captain marvel number 55 which has a cover by pat broderick and bob mcleod penciled by bob by Pat Broderick, inked by Bob Wachek, and lettered by Bruce Patterson. This issue, Marvel is uh, trying to figure out what he's going to do, and uh, Rick is headed off to do a European tour, which hopefully means we don't have to deal with Rick for a bit, uh, which I am a okay with. Right. Uh, so, Marvel heads to an observatory where people freak the fuck out because he's Marvel. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we see Minerva at the farm with uh, Macron. Macron. And she's also like, "I'm not scheming. You're scheming. Shut up." And Macron's yeah. like, 
I mean, scheme away, you can't really get anywhere with it. And she's like, oh, yeah. but that's what I scheme for. I'm not scheming. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the bulk of this issue is Marvell heads to the observatory and talks to the director of the observatory. The observ- the director is pissed because he disrupted a big experiment. And she's like, now we're going to have to repeat it. And he's just like, no, you don't. And she goes, what? And he's like, let me r- run down everything you were in the process of discovering. And like, she's like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. That, ma- that matches up with our uh, projections for the experiment. Cool. Yeah. You can work here. <laughs> and uh, so. Well, like you still need to do science, right? This guy, granted, I know he's an alien and he's got cosmic awareness and stuff, but like you don't know that. You can't yeah. just trust him because his model because his his prediction fit your models. Like, yeah, you still got to go do the science. I mean, we're <laughs> trying to move things along here, Max. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's the so, that's the entire like. Okay, no, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm but, just saying but, like it's like yeah we can we can fully explain but it's just like we have shit to do we have a shitty villain to introduce uh, so but like no i one of like real quick at the very beginning like he's a superhero standing on a street corner staring into a big wall pane of glass like back at his reflection and he's got a bunch of people crowded around him and because he's a superhero and he reaches up and takes the mask off his face and everyone is like, Oh shit. Who's that guy? Like, uh, I always, that is my absolute favorite, like super or superhero reveals his true face. And everyone's like, Nope, Nope, not a clue. I don't know who the hell that dude is. That's one of my favorite things in justice league is when, when Luthor and Flash get their bodies switched and like Luthor yeah. does everything he can do, <laughs> but like every he's being stopped at every opportunity. So he just goes into the men's room and like uh he's like, Well, I might as well at least find out who the Flash is. So he takes the mask off and he's just like Nope, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but uh which is which is like yeah, obviously, because most, most, um, most superheroes, you know, the odd one here or there, like, if Superman were to be like, I'm actually Clark Kent, some people would know, because, yeah, I he's mean, got over a the years, Superman has done, like, TV, yeah, and stuff like that, so if people, if he were to be like, hey, I'm actually Clark Kent, and people would be like, how did I not realize that? Um, well, and that, or if like Bruce if you Wayne. Unmask, yeah, if you unmask Bruce Wayne or Batman, everyone would go, holy shit, that's fucking Bruce Wayne. Because I right. know what, you know, everyone in the universe knows what Bruce Wayne looks like. Is in because the same it's Bruce way, Wayne. In the same way that I know what Bezos looks like. Yeah. And they're both awful. Um, but, like, that's, that's why it's very rare... But these are very rare situations. Most of the time, like, our superheroes are some guy. And in this situation, it's an alien. <laughs> like... Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Marvel takes his mask off and everyone's like, oh, it's not going to be fucking, I don't know. What, who, what were you expecting, I guess, is the question. Like, if it had been... Robert Redford. If it just had, like... If it had been Robert Redford, would that be more or less? Like, that would definitely be surprising, I guess. Yeah. Oh, shit, it's Robert Redford. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> the... I don't know. I... Yeah. So many of these things, like... You know, Iron Man takes off his helmet and it's like, holy shit, Tony Stark. Of course. Spider-Man takes off his mask and it's like. That's going to be. Yeah, that's going to hit for like 14 people. That's it. Yeah. Everyone else is yeah. going to be like. Jonah, the, Jonah and like Mary Jane and like Aunt May would all be like, holy shit. And then like the rest of the world is just like. I don't know. All white guys look alike. What <laughs> yeah. do you holy shit did you know the dude in my calculus class is actually spider-man yeah well that was interesting for five minutes it's the 70s and we don't have anything to do what do you what do you want to do yeah do we go through rocks at cars i guess i don't know (laughs) you wanna you wanna go sit in line at a gas station i guess i don't know whatever uh but so this is marvell Marvell getting a job at the planetary at the observatory is big news, and they have a fucking line. And in the line is this guy called Death Grip, who it turns it turns out hates Walter Lawson. If you don't recall who Walter Lawson is, back when this book first started, uh, Marvell came to Earth and adopted the identity of a dead scientist. It turns out that dead scientist was building a weapon for a group called the Organization that would, you could fire at people and it would age them and eventually kill them uh, if you held it on them long enough because created a little time bubble. So, this guy was present when Marvell attacked the Organization and there was a big explosion of the weapon which then set off these ion uh, engines. The the meeting of the two energies caused him to become death grip. If he holds on to someone long enough, uh, he will age them to the point that they die. Uh, he starts grabbing hold of of basically every time he touches Marvel or Marvell touches him, he starts sucking him dry. Uh, so, they begin this fight, and whatever. Um, not a lot to say about this, other than, I have a little thing here. So, I started looking, because the way Death Grip is designed reminded me of the old Transformers comics Marvel did back when the cartoon started. Uh, at a certain, you know, at a certain point, the, the series had largely in it, the show had ended, uh, but the comics were still going late into the 80s and early into the 90s. And the artists that, there was a, there were artists that would draw the Transformers as basically like 
human faces, but with a box on their head. Sure. So you had this same sort of thing where it would look like a person, but with two pieces of metal taped to the sides of their heads. And that's what Death Grip looked like. So I got online to find out, did this guy work on Transformers? Because this art looks real familiar. Uh, But I looked up Pat Broderick and what I discovered was, so he left the industry for a while to go and do design work. I guess he worked on Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, who gives a shit. But in 2014, he returned to the comics industry. And apparently this became noteworthy because he returned to the comics industry and put out a thing on Facebook saying, hey, by the way, now that I'm back in the comics industry, let me just say this. If you are a cosplayer or someone who promotes cosplayers, don't fucking send me a friend request. And this touched off a whole lot of people just being like, yeah, fuck cosplayers. What? Why? Because, like, apparently they like things in the wrong way. I here here's here's my thing. Um fuck gatekeeping. Just in general. Any kind of gatekeeping pisses me off. Yeah. Uh but like the thing that the thing that angers me about this is you know, there is there is fan behavior that is bad. If you are if you are harassing creators that's bad fan behavior yes regardless of whether you're wearing a costume or you're wearing just clothes or nude it doesn't matter if you're harassing creators fuck you uh if you are like using it as a way to get close to people and victimize them in some way fuck you otherwise like let people like shit the the that they like the way that they like it. People dressing up in costumes goes back as long as there have been conventions before it had a name. Who the fuck cares? And like, the thing that pisses me off is like, they're talking about all these, all these people who chimed in like a couple of comic book artists and stuff like this. Um, that, Or just like, yeah, fuck cosplayers. I won't even go to conventions that announce that they have a cosplay contest or anything. And it's just like, so let me see if I've got this straight. You're going to deprive people you hate of an opportunity to be berated by you while depriving yourself of money? That seems like a win-win to me. Yeah. But whatever. But this one guy, this guy, the article I found about this, um, had, there was apparently a comment made by this guy, Raymond, uh, and it's L-U-I. I'm not sure if that's Louis or Lou, but whatever. Uh, I, tr- I was trying to find how to pronounce it, but fuck it. Um But this guy said the following in his comment. He said, I had a cosplayer pass by my booth, all excited about the upcoming Doctor Strange movie and wanted to dress like him. But the cosplayer had no idea what Strange does, if he's a real doctor. And when I remarked that he was created by Steve Ditko, the man who made Spider-Man, the cosplayer asked me if Strange was related to Spider-Man. 
I had to boot him out of my booth. Now, the way this reads to me is there was a character, there was a person who came to my booth that was interested in a character who was getting a movie and wanted to learn more, and I shut that shit down real quick. Yeah, I was a dick to that person. What? Why? This like, person might have, this person might have, because of their interest in the way the character looked, wound up reading and enjoying a comic book. But I prevented that shit from happening. <laughs> Did you like come into this world fully formed, you asshole? Like, that's why I don't understand, like, there's 70 years of this bullshit, like... And we're, you're not, no one is expected to know all of it. Like, and it's also dumb and for kids, it's not that important. Like, don't get this pissed off. It's seriously fine. Like, if it's, some, it's fine. Just, if someone's, this is what pisses me off. If I see someone who's just like, I don't know what Doctor Strange is. Can you tell me about them? I'm not just like. Uh, like no, if anything, the I'm whole. Like, oh wow. Uh, yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about yeah, yeah. that. I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to tell someone. Oh, you don't know anything. Well, allow me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I get to. Show I love. Off. Yeah. I love not just showing off, but also like, I I don't understand this idea of. I like a thing, so no one else gets it. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? No. Why would you, why would you prevent more people from liking the thing you like? Yeah. I don't know. Not only that, not only that, but like, you can steer them away from the bullshit. Yeah. You can say, like, if you, if you... If you have someone who knows nothing about Green Lantern, you can be like, okay, well, first of all, don't watch the movie. Because just don't. Um, but, like, start here and read this. Don't worry about that. This is terrible and unnecessary. But read this. Like, you get to you get to spare them. Well, you get the, to curate. The bullshit. Yeah. You get to curate. You get to, you you get get to, to say, oh, you want to know more? Allow me. Yeah. It's like, what, why? If you want to read, yeah, I don't understand. There's just why, I don't. Okay. And like the one, the one thing they complain about that, okay, sure, uh, is the uh, the idea of cosplayers as they walk around. If someone wants to take a picture with them, they're like 20 bucks. But also, like, who gives a shit? Because if a, if it seems to me that in that scenario, there are two people involved. The cosplayer and the person that wants to take a picture of them. And if the person says, okay, 20 bucks, here you go. How does that affect you? No, yeah. And if they say no... Then bullet dodged. Like, what the fuck is the problem? Why does it matter to you 
who does what with their time and their money. Who get and of course, you know, in the in the in the comments made by these people, there's the usual like fat shaming of like fat women dressed as power girl and slave girl Leia. Who gives a shit? Yeah, like that's bad. They're happy in their body. Cool. Good for them. Let that's them more than most of us can say. And like, if it offends you to have to look at someone's fat legs, look away. Like it's, it's simply a matter of you take your head and you turn it 30 degrees. Problem solved. Right. Anyway, I just, I had to mention this because I get so annoyed with these fucking guys who are just like, ugh, cosplay. And it's just like, yeah, well, ugh, comics. Or, ugh, you. Like, (laughs) whatever. I did not know that there was, I thought cosplayers were generally considered like, quirky weirdos who spend a lot of time making a thing and then wander around but harmless like i did not well, know there was a backlash i am learning things today there are disappointed have... in even more disappointed in humanity <laughs> well yeah there have been there have been backlashes against cosplayers where it's just like it's mainstream now you see a girl dressed as Deadpool. Does she even know what Deadpool is? And it's like, oh, you fucking why, asshole! I like. Why? I immediately go, oh, cool. I don't need to know you. Hooray! Yeah, another person. Basically, all oh, fantastic. I don't need to know you. Great. Yeah. Ah, another and, another and human being I can just scratch off. <laughs> that was that me. was a. I will say that was a major point of contention at one point, with our former co-host because <laughs> that came up and it was just like people chasing this for clout and it's like why why would someone put the time and effort into making a costume just to just to cl- chase clout there were easier ways of doing that there were easier ways you can claim I I don't understand why someone would sit there and pretending to like something, okay, but like pretending to like something so much that they will put the time and money and effort into creating a decent looking costume of it. That makes no sense to me. That's like that's psychopathic, right? That is that is, yeah. and like you can get that cloud just as easily being like, I'm a girl who likes Deadpool. Like, or there are dudes who will go for that, and the, there you go. Like, no, you've if, got what you were after if, if without have, the effort. If you have that kind of drive, you should be making money on wall street and not doing this like there are there are better ways to spend your time yeah Um, anyway moving on captain um captain marvel number 56 um 
he death grip turns marvell into an old man and tosses him aside and heads into the observatory marvell is able to use the power of the sun to restore himself and goes in after death grip death grip is just like well we're kind of at an impasse then so i'm gonna take everybody here hostage and marvell's just like okay and uh he's like i can live off the energy i absorbed from you for two days you have two days to find a way to cure me uh so marvell goes and uses his cosmic awareness to track down the remains of the organization's hideout that exploded he finds what's left of the ray and takes off meanwhile there's someone in the bushes going like he found it whatever who cares so marvell goes and collects tony stark and he's like i need your help to get this working and figure something out um Tony does his best and is able to reconstruct the weapon. They consult with Hank Pym, and it's just kind of like, yeah, we've done everything we can do, but there's, it would take months to figure out, figure out a way to undo what this weapon did to this guy. So Marvell's like, well, that'll have to do. So he heads back to the observatory. He arrives just as Death Grip is like, fuck it, and starts draining the uh the director of the observatory uh marvell comes in and uh restores her using the weapon uh and then begins trying to figure out what to do about death grip death grip takes off his gloves and starts coming at marvell marvell works out oh the gloves insulate his powers, so he grabs the gloves, puts them on, and Death Grip is like, oh no. <laughs> and uh, Marvel's like, well, that's all I need to know, and starts beating the shit out of Death Grip. Um, Death Grip is ostensibly knocked out. Uh, Marvel gets everybody out and carries the. Um, director outside death grip gets up and he's just like well there's not a cure but i mean it's something so he turns the the ray on himself and uh turns to goo yeah he pulls a raiders here at the end and uh melts uh yeah himself and the gun or the ray and uh Marvell comes back in and he's like, well, he drops director Carr out front and then he turns. He's like, I'm going to go try to help him because really he is fucked up and we do need to try and help him. But like he was just going about it the wrong way. I didn't really want to use violence to do this. Um, yeah. And he goes back in, finds the melted, the stain and uh, is like, well, shit. Yeah, because what Death Grip did here, he tried to use the gun to basically restore himself to factory presets, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but winds up devolving himself to just goo. Uh, meanwhile, his 
his touch melts the gun into slack. Yeah. So, whatever. This is this was this was not a terrible run. I'm no. glad we've stuck with the whole Rick and Cap are separated thing for longer than we have in the past. So, yeah. It was not a terrible run. I like the fact that Rick is off doing his own goddamn thing. I like the fact that we've got... Or I like how they're approaching him finding some sense of normal, right? When he's not bashing supervillains. Like, he's got to have something else to do. He's, for some reason, decided Earth's where he wants to be. And there was a little bit of interrogation in that as well, where he's like, I don't know why, but I've clearly picked Earth. Yeah. And I could just as easily go somewhere else, but I like it here, so I'm going to stay. I haven't... He's like poking at why that is, but he's like, okay, so... I don't need to press it that too hard yet, but, like, if I'm gonna be here, then I need something else to do. Uh, Then that's what leads him to the observatory. Like, he knows things about the stars already, studying them some more. That might be a change, a pace. Okay, cool. Um, I like that we're asking those questions about, like, who he is in a very direct way. Like, when it's Cap, when it's Captain America doing this, it annoys the piss out of me, because you could just be Captain America all day, right? Yeah. And also, I know who you are as a person, like, Steve is a fully-fledged idea, but, like, Steve is, to me, Steve and Captain America are the same thing, like, and trying to separate them annoys annoys me. Uh, With Captain Marvel... Marvel and Captain Marvel are the same thing. Him needing something else to do doesn't annoy me. Like, I the thing that I like about this is, you know, up until now, it is. It's like when he first came to Earth, he had to be where he had to be. Yeah. And so, you know, he was at work and he was doing stuff there. And then he contacted, you know the others and was just like here's what i've discovered about this and blah 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 after that he then gets joined to rick jones and so when he's not captain marvelling he's just hanging out in the negative zone this is the first time where he's really had to be like all right uh i this is the first what am i doing he really does have the freedom to pick what he's doing because the last time they were separated, they were on Hala, I think, where everybody fucking hated him. Um, yeah. And uh, so he's on Earth. Nobody hates him. But he also doesn't have much much in the way of direction. Um, yeah. And that's, it's interesting that they are going to let that slow, bl- slow boil or low boil to just, like see what he finds out about himself. Yeah. He, made he gets one to choice. sit and simmer in this shit. And, you know, before it, before he was military, he was a yeah. soldier, he soldiers. Mm-hmm. If he's not actively soldiering, that's his downtime. He gets to just, like, relax for a few minutes, whatever. 
he's no longer a soldier. He's now the protector of the universe, which is a direction, but it's not an all-encompassing direction. There is no citadel of the protector of the universe for him to chill at when he's not protectoring. He still needs, like, basic things, and they're not... They're not now being provided for him. He well, can't call up the Kree and be like, hey, I need money and or food. <laughs> um, yeah. Because well, they're it, just like, and? <laughs> but uh, like the observatories are really, I just realized that as, I mean, he's got the cosmic awareness, so I guess he doesn't need this. But like the observatory is a good place for him to be because if some shit starts in the, out in space, he can be like, oh, good catch, Carol from observatory i'll go kick its ass or whatever it needs done um because he's not cosmic this could be his daily planet basically exactly that's cool i like it yeah uh anyway we've now spent 30 minutes talking about two issues of captain marvel fantastic Uh, champions gonna be that kind of week folks whatever yeah uh champions number 17 has a cover by Ernie Chan and is written by Bill Mantlow, penciled by George Tusca, inked by John Byrne, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by John Costanza. The Blob, Lorelei, and Eunice the Untouchable burst in to uh, the room where Black Widow and Hercules are just like sitting there, I don't know, talking or whatever. Who cares? Uh, but they come in and they're just like, Oh my God! Oh my God! You've got to hide us! And then the sentinels burst through the wall. Uh, Vanisher is up in the rafters, just like, hmm, all according to plan. <laughs> uh, the champion signal goes out, so Angel goes to collect uh, the others because Darkstar and Iceman are at Johnny Blaze's show. And so he goes and finds them. We do the brief anti-mutant thing, whatever. It takes like four pages to get them back to the fucking fight with the Sentinels. Yeah. It's infuriating. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But the, the upshot of all of this is that it turns out that Vanisher, after having been captured by Lang over an X-Men was trapped on the Sentinel platform in orbit and uh, came to and everybody was gone. And so he, the, the Sentinels had all been destroyed except for some ones that were in the process of being built. So he finished them and used them to collect uh, Blob, Eunice and Lorelei and in doing so, he's just like, let's get revenge on the X-Men. And the others are like, cool. Uh, so they go after they go after the champions um, because Iceman and Angel are there, I guess. Um, and I guess, like, Charles hasn't revealed to the entire goddamn world yet that the X-Men live in Westchester. Yeah. Because that was the thing, was that you the Iceman and Angel had gone public with the champions and their location uh yeah. whereas i guess the x-men haven't done that which doesn't sound right but whatever 
Well, they have they straight haven't. Um, Blob, I feel like might know anyway, because I'm trying to I'm trying to remember if they actually took him to the school in his first appearance, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, you know, take out Iceman and Angel, and they can tell you where the X Men are. Cool, whatever. Uh, but ultimately, they're defeated because, of course, and Vanisher is in the process of teleporting away when Darkstar does something that kind of traps him between where he is and where he's going. And it's implied very much that Vanisher has been killed. Yeah. He's not. Uh -oh. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, this is comics, so he could have been killed and then just brought back later. But, uh... It seems it seems like the implication here is that he's like caught in between and ripped in half in the process and everybody's just like wow that's nuts and uh this is the last <coughs> issue so we end on dark star killing a dude bye everybody <laughs> I mean oh man Okay, so Champions as a book. This book. This version of the Champions. Just all over the map. There's a whole lot of people who hate each other. And, like, not even for good reason. Like, no, it's just Dark Star. Ghost Rider and Iceman hate each other. Ghost Rider hates for Dark no Star reason. for no reason at all. Well, it's, it's weird... That he hates Darkstar because she from defected to the U.S. from Russia. But he does not hate Black Widow, yeah. who did the same thing. Like, if you're going to hate defectors, hate all defectors, dude. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Um, and, and yeah, so, it's just like, a team full of people that don't really like each other. And Herc and black widow trying to keep it together and that was the book the whole time and then like people would start taking shots at uh hercules and herc's like just fucking don't like what are we doing i don't know I, that the t the dynamic as a team was not great and i don't know where they planned to go from there It just here here's here's my here's my problem is that your one and only problem well i have lots of problems but my specific problem with the team dynamic here okay is over in x-men we've got wolverine who's kind of like not really getting along with people right but that's fine because He's the only one. Yeah. You know? It's not like it's not like the team is made up of Wolverines who are all just like, get the fuck away from me. No, you get the fuck away from me. I hate everybody. <laughs> Shut up. No, I hate them more. And stuff like that. Whereas yeah, I mean, if champions it were, if it were both Wolverine and Colossus, like starting shit with everybody that they could then it would be like, oh my god, Jesus, just fucking quit it. But like, over here in Champions, it's 
Bobby, Ghost Rider, and to a certain extent Darkstar are constantly like fucking jabbing at each other. And Angel's completely oblivious about it. Uh, Black Widow's the only one who notices anything and is like, hey guys, fucking quit it. And they're like, no. Angel's barely, Angel's barely here. <laughs> yeah. Like, I honestly, other than him financing the team, I don't really know why Angel is here. Because he's not a presence in the book. No. He's not active in any of this other than to just be like, yeah, I paid for a guy to do a thing. Call me when you need something. Um, so, like, to have... It's fine if it takes some time for your team to work out the kinks. But, A, the kinks have to make sense. That's okay? the big thing. Like B, not everybody can have a kink. And C... Like, I have to know that the kinks are going to get worked out at some point, and I don't, like... Well, like, some of these kinks are insurmountable here. Like, yeah. everybody's kind of afraid of Johnny Blaze. Yeah. And that's not something that you can work through when he also has no intention of working through that either. Neither side yeah. wants to work through this issue of the fact that we are all a little bit afraid of jo of Ghost Rider. And that's a problem yeah. in your book. That's a problem with Ghost Rider. <laughs> yeah. But right. we've, covered, we've covered the Ghost Rider thing. So, yeah. uh, speaking of, Ghost Rider number 26 um, has a cover by George Perez and is written by Jim Shooter, penciled by Don Perlin, inked by Sam Granger, cover, colored by Don Warfield, lettered by Denise Wall, and edited by Archie Goodwin. This kind of feels like Jim Shooter stepping in and being like, the status quo of this book is not working, so I'm oh. going to throw a grenade in the middle of it. Yes, um, it really does feel like that, because honestly, these three issues were better issues of Ghost Rider. Yeah, and... Yeah. So it, it felt more cohesive and it felt truer to what like I think of the character to be. Right. And you know, I I like the the thing is not only should Ghost Rider not be a a member of something like the Champions, but also like we can't be doing the standard superhero thing with Ghost Rider. Right, exactly. And I, I think, think Jim Shooter's st stepping in and saying, like, this whole, like, well, he works as a stuntman by day, and then at night he becomes uh, the writer. I think Jim Shooter was right here to just be like, no, fuck this. Like, yeah. this cannot stand. And because he's a demonic motorcyclist. Like... The whole, like, him working at a movie studio thing just didn't work. I don't yeah. like... I don't like Johnny Blaze as a... Because Ghost Rider should not have a day job. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like... No, I... I, I 
You know what? Right. You know what I want. You know what I want. I want. Uh, I want them to take a one of these like Sturgis dudes who's like not a biker but like a weekend rider. Sure. And turn him to, into Ghost Rider. Like during the week, he's an accountant, and he's just like you know doing people's taxes and shit. But on on the weekend, he goes and gets on his bike, and it just becomes like. Oh, mortal and then Monday morning it's just like well you know if you incorporate here here's the thing there were there were benefits and drawbacks to incorporating because on the one hand you get all the strengths of that but also like there are certain liability there's <laughs> so, overhead that you need to account for no okay so yeah that's fun um I, I was thinking more of uh like we I think we talked about it last week or a week ago or more but, like, it should be have gun will travel, right? Yeah. Like, that's what... It's just roaming the fucking Southwest or wherever, running into demonic shit and having to beat it up. Like Johnny that's... Blaze is a modern-day cowboy. And cowboys... Like, I'm sorry, if you're going to do a modern-day cowboy, I don't want to see him at his day job. Yeah. I don't care. Because um, that that's not why I'm here. Right. Um, I, uh, and they do a really good job this week of, like, getting him the fuck out of L.A., which mm-hmm. is what we got it. That, 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 that's the whole point of this week, is getting him out of L.A. And yeah. that starts with him seeing Roxanne and her new boyfriend, having had, s- having had some epiphany that he is in love with Roxanne and like, he's really screwed that the fuck up and uh, he's going to go find her. So he goes to her house. He sees her with Roger and they're, they're a a thing. So he flies off the fucking handle and has to stop, physically stop himself from marching in there and roasting Roger. So instead he has himself a tantrum on the bike by riding it in a fucking forest, hits a tree uh, the it's the fire cycle, so it doesn't um, hit anything. It vanishes, and then he proceeds to have yeah a full on meltdown in an, in this woods where he's lighting shit on fire. And I wanted to be like, uh, California, don't do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, don't. I have bad news for the future. Uh, back at the studio, does does Hellfire cause an actual like? Can it cause a a uh, forest fire or does or does that tree just see all its sins <laughs> like probably the second one uh, i dropped an acorn on a squirrel once maliciously <laughs> oh my god what did i do uh, um, but, so as he was driving to there he passed uh the car containing dr druid uh druid goes to the studio looking for the ghostwriter um and everyone's like you're fucking crazy go away so druid's out to destroy the ghostwriter because he knows demons when he sees them um yeah and luckily for him blaze shows up at the place having had basically screamed it all out last night he's in a much better mood um He's decided, he's decided, well, if I can't have Karen, or if I can't have Roxy, I'm going to go get Karen like I should have done before. You're an asshole. 
Um, because he was just the night before talking about how he'd screwed it up with Roxy by messing around with Karen and blah, blah, blah. You're an asshole. Uh, so he goes to find Karen. She's talking to Dr. Druid and looks completely entranced with him. And he's like, well, son of a bitch, there goes both of them. Um, Yeah. And walks out, whereas... And Dr. Druid's like, hold on, come back. I cannot permit you to leave. Okay. So he, in the course of... Druid basically outs him in front of... Because, like, every... A lot of these people were, like, aware of the concept of Ghost Rider, but seeing Johnny Blaze become Ghost Rider, they're like, oh no. No. I know special effects, and that that's not a special effect. That dude may actually be, like, a demon. Okay. Alright. Uh... And so this, and this basically just burns down Johnny's whole life. Yeah, and it doesn't help that when after he turns into the Ghost Rider, he stands up and is like, okay, now I'm going to roast your fucking soul. Like, yeah. he goes at him um, and makes a yeah. big speech of it, too. So, yeah. Druid, he bails. Druid's like, I'm going to go get him. And, uh, he does. So Ghost Rider goes to a cemetery, because Ghost Rider. Um, and he's, like, tearing shit up. And, uh, in doing so, Druid arrives and uses this amulet to force him back into being Johnny. And at at that point, Druid is just able to use his superior mass and strength to knock Johnny the fuck out. Once he does that, he he starts like taking a little magical mystery tour through Johnny's head. Uh which we don't like we don't see any of this, but he just like he puts his hand on his head and he's like pondering and he's just like, "Oh my god, I've had it all wrong." He realizes that although Ghost Rider is demonic, Johnny is fundamentally a decent person. And, uh, so he should just, like, leave it be. Uh, so he takes off. Johnny comes to, and he's just like, well, I guess there's nothing left for me in L.A. So he takes off. Uh, that brings us to Ghost Rider number seven, uh, which has a cover by Sal Buscema inked by Dan Green, colored by Francois Moulet. Um, Johnny, Johnny swings by his room to, like, grab his shit um, and then takes off. And, like, uh, Roxy and Roger go to try and stop him, but they miss him completely and he's already gone. So Johnny goes tearing through the... Uh, uh, that may have been that bit may have been the last end of the last issue. It was whatever. I don't it, care. It doesn't matter. I really don't care. So he's in the southwest now, and he has this run-in with a biker named Brahma Brahma Bill, and they have a fun little like, uh, you ride a motorcycle, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, I do. So do you. Let's see what you can do, and like a whole bunch of like. Macho bullshit, whatever. 
It's motorcycle culture. Uh, whatever. Um, but like at the end of it, Brahma, there's a there's a bridge, and they can only they can only go one across one at a time, and it's like, well, whoever goes across first is going to win the race. But Brahma winds up taking the bridge. Johnny jumps the little gap, and Brahma's just like, okay, you seem cool, and they're like. Well, I'm going that way, and he's like, I'm going that way. And it's like, all right, well, peace. So. And then, then immediately Johnny's bike starts to shoot shit. Um, yeah. And he's like, well, fuck. And he, I guess, walks it to a walks it to a gas station. The gas station attendant is like, I ain't had gas since 1952 or something. And it's like, what the fuck? What are you? How? How? And some kids recognize him and are, like, scared of him because he's the Ghost Rider. Uh, we switch to um, Two-Gun Kid and Hawkeye. The, 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 the kid that has a poster of Ghost Rider hanging up, but then, like, meets Ghost Rider and is just like, I don't eat my soul! And it's just like, okay... These are incongruous, whatever. Um, Two-Gun Kid and Hawkeye are having some hijinks at the ranch when Johnny arrives. Um, Johnny's like, hey, if you got a machine shop, do you mind if I, or on this ranch, do you mind if I work on my bike? And they're like, absolutely, it's really good. And there's like this, so he fixes up the bike, and then he starts teaching Two-Gun how to, drive it you had to ride it and uh it's it's adorable they're they're becoming man friends i don't remember how to do that and i i was like oh that's that's adult friends neat um and but i yeah they two guns bad at riding motorcycle that's important to know uh, and he at one point he's like, "Hey, well, may I'll I'll show you to making fun of me about riding the motorcycle. I'd love to see what we can do to get you on a horse, but uh, she seems real spooked by you." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah that that happens sometimes. Yeah. I don't know." Uh, Hawkeye kind of begins to get the sense that Two Gun Kid is kind of getting ready to move on. Yeah. And he's like, well, it's been fun, but I'm not going to hang out here by myself. Like, if Two Guns moving on, then I think I'm going to have to go back to my life as an Avenger. Um, <laughs> my, that's his step down. That's his fallback. Is that's 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 the weird. That's the thing is like, uh, most people, most people are like. Well, vacation's over. I guess I gotta go back to work at the firm and, you know, back to my real life of, like, bills and responsibilities. And, like, Hawkeye is just like, well, it's been a fun adventure, but I guess I have to go back to my real life of fighting aliens and <laughs> hanging out by hanging out with an Asgardian god. <sighs> back to the grind. Um... But Hawkeye is then attacked by a thing called the Manticore. And uh, 
the Manticore, having gra grabbed Hawkeye, reveals that he was hired by the brand corporation that had created Patsy Walker's suit uh, that previously belonged to the cat, now Tigra. And that... No, Hellcat. Uh, do what? Hellcat, right? Not Tiger. No, the cat is now Tigra. The suit then passed on to Patsy Walker, oh, who is yeah. now Hellcat. Yes. So Sorry. <clears throat> you did say You're all fine. of it right. I was only listening to half of it. You're fine. Uh, but Manticore reveals that uh, his plan is kill Hawkeye. That will bring the Avengers. He could then... He can then attack them ostensibly defeat them even though he gets his ass handed to him by Hawkeye and Ghost Rider uh, take the costume back from Patsy Walker and in doing so the brand corporation will give him what he wants which it eventually turns out he's an he's a double amputee missing his legs that's how the manticore suit can even work um and that the brand corporation will give him prosthetic legs. Um, so, in the course of this, um, Two Gun Kid is like, oh shit, that thing took Hawkeye. And Johnny's like, okay, Ghost Rider. And Two Gun's like, oh shit, you're Ghost Rider. Uh, ooh, that's, uh, I don't like that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> bromance over. over. Uh, but so they go and help Hawkeye. And at the end of this, you know, the Manticore is defeated. The armor's shredded. And uh, Hawkeye's just like, well, time to go back to the Avengers, maybe. Um, I don't know. The Manticore... Manticore is... I don't, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and shit on, uh, on the, um, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, well, if he couldn't even take out Hawkeye and Ghost Rider, first of all, power levels are relative and to whatever they need for the story. Fine. Yep. Yep. But like, at the same time... Like, I don't... His power levels are not sufficient that I can look at him and go like, yeah, I can see this guy thinking he can take on the Avengers. Like... I don't think he can take on the Avengers, um... Like, full bore. Like, if he does some sneaky shit, maybe. But, like... I mean, that's that's the thing, like, we did... You know that issue, uh, was that during Secret in, not Secret Wars, the crossover where Hawkeye is basically captured by Skrulls, he's in a Skrull ship, and he manages to destroy the whole fucking thing from the inside out and get free, but like, in a that is not a Hawkeye situation that you take on head on, right? Like, yeah. he does, he sneaks around in the ductwork. That like, was the Kree Scroll War. Right, I couldn't yeah. That's I mean, if Manticore wanted to do it that way, maybe. But like, again, that's whatever the story needs. Um Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't. I am surprised that I saw Manticore on the cover of this issue and didn't immediately hate it. Well, and ended up not hating it, right? Because usually, yeah. anytime Manticore showed up, I'd just been like, "Oh, this is probably going to suck." Um, but luckily, he really wasn't in it that much. Um, this is Manticore's only appearance. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Why do I feel like I've seen? Was there a Griffin as well? There was Griffin. Okay. I hated him, too. Yeah, Griffin is fairly shit. Um, Alright. I, yeah, I mean, this issue is primarily about uh, Johnny, and about Hawkeye, and about Two-Gun Kid. Manticore is largely incidental. Manticore is a plot device, and that's why he never shows up again. (laughs) Well, and that's why I like this, is because it is about those three characters and our main character learning that this is what he can do. Like, yeah. he can do things like this. Um, it is it is the have gun, will travel that I want. Um, yeah. And that's why I like it. Anyway. Yeah. So. Okay, that brings us to... Ghost Rider number 28, which has a cover by Ernie Chan, written by Roger McKenzie, penciled by Don Perlin and Tom Sutton, inked by Owen McCarran and Pablo Marcos, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by Joe Rosen. The, uh, the beginning of this, I'm surprised, we have overt, uh, like, marijuana references going on here. Yeah, dude is, dude is straight up smoking a joint, and I'm like, I, I am surprised even in the book about the satanic biker, <laughs> that the comics code was just like, yeah, weed, sure. Now, Johnny turns the guy down, right. and everything, but like, still like the the fact that somebody is using marijuana, in the open. And, like, nothing bad happens to him. I am surprised the Comics Code would have signed off on this. Uh, but anyway, he goes he uh, he goes into town and buys a new motorcycle and all this shit. Roxanne is out trying to find him. Um, happens across Brahma Bill, who's just like, hey... I like what you got going on. And she's like, no, thanks. Uh, But then she runs into... uh, She, in the process of things, mentions that she's looking for Johnny. And Brahma's just like, huh. All right. Uh, But uh, she goes about her business, immediately runs into the orb, who uses his hypnotic ability here to basically erase her memory. Um, then, uh, Johnny goes and he's riding around, uh, and all of these bikers, uh, attack him. The orb is just like, I th- I bet you thought I was gone. And Johnny's just like, I'm surprised you thought I cared. Like, you know, uh, but in the course of this, Brahma Bill is just like, you know, I should probably tell Johnny. But he winds up in the middle of this and helps Johnny out. Um, the orb is defeated and blasted with hellfire and forced to 
face all of his sins because that's just how we end everything now. Uh, and then at the end of it, uh, Brahma Bill is just like, well, I gotta go deal with some stuff. And it turns out that the thing he's got to deal with is he has shacked up with Roxanne, who does not remember a goddamn thing. So right. it's just like, man, I thought maybe you weren't a piece of shit, Brahma Bill. But it turns out you are. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and Johnny's back on the road. Yeah. Like Johnny just takes off and now Roxanne is left in the middle of nowhere uh, with this dude who's just like, you don't remember me? Yeah, we've been fucking for years. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, this this run of Ghost Rider is what the character needs, uh, uh, which yeah. is to not be uh, holding down a job. Like, I get the I get the Johnny has to eat. Like, I don't. I'm not like. Johnny should be starving at all times. But, like... No. He... Shouldn't be a conventional superhero, either. Right. Like, both of those things are not what the character should be. And for the longest time, right, in the beginning of this book, or when he was introduced, they were pretty much constantly on the run from fucking Satan. Right? Yeah. Like, and... When they weren't doing that, they were still holding the stunt circus together. And that was yeah. a, that was one thing. Like, maybe that I was okay with that. And being on the run from Satan, I was okay with that. Like, you didn't have time for any of these other things. But once the Satan stuff got settled and the circus exploded, then... Well, that, the stunt show—the stunt show—is basically like being a carny, in yeah. that you're constantly moving to a new place and constantly on the move, and that's fine for Ghost Rider. Yeah, exactly. But like this stuff of like living in L.A., having a an apartment, and like holding down a job, and like, no, no. This is better, um, and I, I actually enjoyed a, these few issues. And like I said before, that's kind of surprising. But I I think this is a much better direction, and I hope they keep it this way. I, I genuinely hope, though, that somebody follows through on my idea of Ghost Rider CPA. Sure. Uh, because I... If we're gonna... If we're gonna do... Ghost Rider holds down a job. I want to go full bore. I want to see Ghost Rider sitting at a table going over his 401k statement. I want to see Ghost Rider shopping at a co-op. I want to see Ghost Rider just like, you know, doing taxes pro bono for for uh, the the lady down the street. Like, I, I want this. Like, I I want I want it to be as incongruous as possible. And maybe maybe it's for the best that I am not in any way in a position to make these things happen, because I would drive Marvel into the goddamn ground. Because 
a lot of what I'm motivated by is, you know what would be funny? Yeah. (laughs) And no one wants that. Not necessarily good, but funny. Give me, uh, give me, like, uh, you know, back in the day, they had, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Like, uh, the what if, Mm -hmm. like, parody book. Uh, give me that. And I'll be golden. What's like, the other one? I'll... They had another one. Was a ECCH? Yeah, there was. There was not brand. Ugh. Yeah. Um. No, it was. It was what the what the was the one they had back in the day, uh, and then they did a one shot that was like whoa, <laughs> like, and that was the one that. Uh, Patton Oswalt had written the hooker hacker thing for, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, bring that back. Let me do it. And I'll just be like, you know, it'd be funny. (laughs) Um, anyway, amazing Spider-Man annual number 11, uh, has a cover by Gil Kane and Joe Sinnott. The first story is called Spawn of the Spider and is written by Bill Mantlow, penciled by Don Perlin, inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Don Warfield, lettered by Bruce Patterson, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Anne May Dunn get her, got her ass arrested. Uh, and so Peter, who saw it happen as Spider-Man, but didn't want to do anything because there's no reason for Spider-Man to break up the police arresting someone, though, yeah, there is. Um, but he, uh, he then waits the appropriate amount of time, then goes to the courthouse to go and help her. He winds up having to write a $200 check, um, which this was like, okay, $200 in 1978. Oh yeah. Uh, like, like two grand. Uh, that's like six hundred dollars. Jesus. Um, something like that. No, no, I'm sorry. More like eight hundred. So. So yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, because one hundred dollars would have been four hundred. So, yeah, that's eight hundred bucks gone. Um, so he's like, "What am I gonna do?" So then Mary Jane has a job being a rando extra in this B movie. Um, but then like this guy in a big rubber spider costume. Uh, nearly falls and kills himself. He's able to get, grab hold of the um, fire escape, but uh, the fire escape is getting ready to collapse, and so Spider-Man swings in, saves the guy, holds up the holds up the fire escape long enough for people to get out of the way, and at when it's all said and done, the uh, the director is just like, hey. What if 
we paid you to wear the suit and climb the walls during the, uh, like, climbing shots. And Spider-Man's like, if you pay me in cash, sure. And so... And also, the costume designer gets huffy and fired because yeah. his costumes are perfect. It's the talent that sucks. Yeah. Um, and so... Three, three dudes are then hired to put on costumes and uh, the um, they then attack and Spider-Man breaks it up, blah, blah, blah. But he's able to attach a tracer. No, he goes, he breaks it up. Then he goes to the costume designer's apartment where the guys in the rubber costumes are waiting for him. They attack. There's a fight, but they escape. He is able to attack a tra- attach a tracer to their car. It leads to a farm upstate uh, where he is then caught in a web because, like, apparently that's just a thing that happens to Spider-Man now. Um, and But he's able to uh, turn it around on them. But then in the course of things, he finds the costume designer, Clemmer, unconscious in the hay and he's like oh shit Clemmer's not the one behind this um but we then switch outside and it turns out that it was actually the producer um who was doing this and he was going to try and shut down production on the film so that he could get some of his money back Um, I I love that at least he waits to monologue for the camera um, about his dastardly plan after exploding everyone in a hay silo um, instead of before. Yeah. Uh, Sp- Spider-Man got everybody out and managed to track the producer down and kick him in the face. Um, and at that what point... I, what I like is uh, the... Um, the guy the producer is named Anton D. Leonidas 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 Um, which was like who who has beef with uh, Tony De Laurentiis uh, Dino Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I saw that and I'm like, okay. (laughs) All right, Bill Madlow. (laughs) You think Dino De De Laurentiis is a, is a um, murderer? Okay. Capable of murder? (laughs) I mean, I admit, like, maybe he is or was. I don't know. Shit. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Shit. John Landis got people killed. Maybe De Laurentiis <laughs> did too. <laughs> Fuck. Um, but whatever. So at the he he takes him out. He Spider-Man is able to get everybody out. He takes down De Leonidas uh, and turns him over to the police. And then he's just like, so what am I going to do now? I am out $200. I can't get more. 
what the fuck? Uh, but then Anne May shows up and she's like, Peter, the charges were dropped. Here's your money back. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, then there's Chaos at the Coffee Bean, which is written by Scott Edelman, penciled by John Romita Jr., inked by Al Milgram, colored by Nelly Amtov, and lettered by Joe Rosen. Uh, Peter and Mary Jane are uh, out for the night at the Coffee Bean. Uh, there is a musician named Paul Cassidy playing, uh, but it's broken up when a dude with a gun comes in and he's shooting the place up. Um, Peter goes to try and find a way to switch to Spider-Man. While this happens, Cassidy throws himself or throws his guitar at the at the gunman, winds up being taken hostage, and uh, everybody is made to give over any money or valuables they have. The gunman escapes with Cassidy and the money. Um, Spider-Man goes after them. They, it turns out that Cassidy is working with the um, with the gunman, who it turns out is actually his agent. Uh, but by doing this, you know, he he now looks like a hero, and they're getting some heat on his name. But the uh, idea is, yeah, after they'll drive away, drive around for a little while, and then after a while, Cassidy will come back the and return all the money come back the conquering hero right yeah um it's a dumb plan it's a real dumb plan spider-man uh overhears all of this from the roof of their car and then proceeds to tear the car roof off because not only is it a dumb plan it pisses him off uh they crash the car to try to shake him free which really doesn't do anything but stop themselves uh Peter webs him up and tries to get back to the coffee bean in time before MJ decides to murder him. Too late. She's pissed. Um, I I will say that after DeLeonatus in the last story, yeah, I like to think that Paul Cassidy here is either a, a jab is a jab at one of the Cassidys, either Sean or David, and. Uh, this this entire issue is just the Marvel bullpen working out their problems with like famous people. Like the ne- the next had there been a third story, it would have turned out that like um, you know some Steve Martin knockoff is like yeah. killing a baby or something. <laughs> like um, anyway, but yeah. Uh, at the end of this, though, yeah, MJ's pissed, and Peter's just like, well, Parker, eh, luck. And it's just like, just tell her you're Spider-Man, dude. This is so much easier if she knows. Everything is so much easier if she knows. And she doesn't have to tell anyone. Like, telling one person is very different than telling the entire goddamn world. Like we, right? It's just, just tell her, be like, hey, shush, 
but like it's he should have told Gwen should have told really should have told Gwen and I would think after what happened with Gwen he should have known hey I should have told Gwen maybe yeah. I should tell MJ well like, and like there's an argument to be made that Gwen not knowing was one of the things <laughs> that led to her death like and he should know that and this is an easy one yeah you know I get not telling everyone you know who that you're Spider-Man. I get him, but not certain telling people Aunt May. that makes sense. Uh, like she was engaged to Doctor Octopus. Uh, she point. can clearly handle more than Peter is giving her credit for. That's true. Like. When when she was when when the story started and it was like frail old Aunt May, she saw a mouse and now she's in the hospital again. Like okay, but like she was she was she's been present for a lot of shit and survived it. She's going to protests and getting arrested. Like I can't, you know i i I get being afraid that Aunt May will be angry or that she will be like, Oh, I can't believe you're that horrible Spider-Man or whatever. Right. But the whole, like, I can't tell and may she'll drop dead. No, 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 not. She can handle a basic piece of information. Whatever. Tell, tell the people you love who you are. Come on. Anyway, top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Top Five. Number five. We're all very serious on this podcast. Uh, number five. I'm the swimmy one. When did that happen? Huh? When did that uh, happen? Yeah. Like, <laughs> who are you talking about? Uh, serious. So, yeah, uh, just Triton being the swimmy I'm one. The, I'm the swimmy one. <laughs> sure you are, bud. Yeah. Uh, number four, I'm not scheming, you're scheming. Shut up. Scheming is not, I'm not, okay, and if we were scheming, like, how could I get off this farm? Uh, I mean, really... To be fair, like... I like Minerva's, though. Do what? I kind of like her, though. Like, her well, plan yeah. is her plan is horrible, but, like, I like the way she's going about it. I mean, look, not many people would have traveled light years to get some dick. Well, and I can respect that. No, I like how she's, like... <laughs> cr- so, what is it, uh... Manic Pixie Dream Girl, only this is Manic Pixie, uh, Genesis, like, Manic Pixie Scientist. Like, this is the... Manic Pixie Alien Scientist Girl. Yeah, Alien Scientist Geneticist. Like, she's just kind of weird and a a digger. It's like, that's horrible, you can't do that. She's like, oh, I mean, we can. (laughs) I, I feel like... 
I feel like scheming is uh is uh the difference between scheming and pondering or scheming and thinking yeah is like the difference between uh scavenging and looting it's it's kind of like it's it's in the eye of the beholder and uh i i and i believe she schemes no yeah i'm just saying like it it is kind of one of those things of like scheming is really just thinking but only if you have like a kind of shifty look to you to begin with <laughs> like you're just kind of like there's certain people that are just like hmm and you're like huh that guy's deep in thought i wonder what he's thinking about and then there are other people that you look at them and they're just like hmm and you're just like oh shit somebody's <laughs> gonna die aren't they <laughs> that's like, a, that's some scheming right there yeah. uh number three the rick jones smoothie I did. I forgot that I put two Minerva ones right next together. Like, and I love how that she was explaining it to Rick. Like, I I know this isn't how it's in the how it is in the text even, but like in my the way I was reading it, she was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But don't worry, if he doesn't show up, I'm just gonna break you down to your component parts, and uh, then I'll still be able to get what I want. And Rick's like, yes, everybody but I- wins. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. I will be dead then. And she's like, oh, uh-huh. Uh, Everybody that matters wins. <laughs> yes. Um, number two. So wait, this is the this is the fallback is you get to be an Avenger. Like, yeah. what the... F- All right, Hawkeye. Uh, I'm just saying you need some perspective. Um, yeah. Like, what if you show up you and they're like, actually, we don't really need you. Uh, we got Beast. He's our useless guy right now. Um, no, that's not fair. Um, and then, number one, with, uh, a bit too vague, really, but Ghost Rider didn't suck. So, that's good. And I like this direction. I like this thought process. And I like that somebody had the sight not even foresight, just sight to be like, hey guys, this isn't working, and blow it all up. Like, that's... Right. That's good. Um, yeah. That's what the book needed. Hopefully they... So. Uh, hopefully they continue with this for a little while, so that we get to see what it does. Yeah. Okay. Well, my number... My number five is back to the grind, I guess. Like... <sighs> It's been a it's been a nice vacation, but time to get back to my life of adventuring. Yep, I know. Sorry, bud. You can't you can't work at a dude ranch all your life. Hawkeye, I, lo- I will say that I lo- I love that Hawkeye's vacation was working, and yeah. now he's just like, well, it was fun while it lasted. Back to. Uh, Going to exotic locales and shooting arrows at stuff. Uh, number it, four. It was fun hanging, palling around with my time traveling cowboy, but that's all over now. Anyway, he's sorry. moved on. <laughs> yeah. Number four. Uh, number four. 
Number four was originally going to be just about Gorgon, but I realized it describes a lot of the Inhuman royal family. Uh, and that's, it's my one thing. Because, like, yeah, like, Gorgon gets out and stomps on the ground and moves the... Um, the traffic. The traffic. And it kind of goes back to the joke about, like, when, every, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like Loki's face. Yeah. And, uh, you know... With this, it's when it, when all you have is giant goat hooves. <laughs> like you just—it's like you answer your answer to everything is stomping. Um, but then I realized, yeah, no, that's that's Triton with his I swim, and like Karnak with his just like flaw 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 flaw. I will uh, disassemble his major flaw, and I will disassemble it. Yeah. Um, Medusa is the only one that gets a character, and I think that's because we've seen her more. And at this point in the reading, yeah, Black Bolt gets a character too, but sort of by default. It's just, but well, yeah, and and here and here's the pro here's the problem is that Black Bolt's character is conveyed through Medusa. Medusa's character is whatever the story needs it to be. Yeah. Triton and Gorgon and Karnak are just a thing. The one who's the closest... I mean, like, Black Bolt probably leads a rich inner life, (laughs) but most of the time, we don't get to see that. Like, mostly, most of what he does is just, like, Mm-hmm. You know, gesticulating at people uh, or conveying what he wants through Medusa. But, like, we only have Medusa's word that, like, what she's conveying is what Black Bolt actually wants. Maybe Black Bolt <laughs> is just so beaten down he doesn't, he doesn't feel like contradicting her. Whatever. Moving on. Uh, number three is... Well... That's dealt with. No way anyone will ever decide to continue this war. Uh, yeah. Whatever, guys. Sure. Back to Earth, I guess. Um, <laughs> Good number job. Number two. That's all you yeah. wanted. <laughs> number two. Uh, I really like Captain Marvel kind of trying to figure out what the fuck he's doing. Oh, yeah. I should have done that instead of the swimmy um, one. Well, I should have done Ghost Rider, but also like I'm I've been burned before. So I'm kind sure. of waiting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Uh but at the very least, like I said, I like the idea that Cap is just like All right. Well, I I no longer have a paycheck from the Cree and uh now I'm just sort of here with 24 fucking hours to fill. Yeah. Who? Well, um, I like not only that he does that, but I like that they, the book gave him the space to do that, right? Yeah. Like was like, yeah, let's going to eat up it's going to eat up some pages, but we need to uh establish that that's kind of what he's going through right now and uh let it you know, so that it, it when it informs things later, it doesn't feel 
completely out of the blue. I like it. Well, and I and I like the fact that Rick isn't the only one kind of figuring out what he's going to do now. Like, mm-hmm. Marvell now has to fill a whole lot of time that he didn't have to before. So, yeah. Um, and then my number one is uh, Bill Mantlo has it out for the De Laurentiis family, <laughs> and he's striking out at them any way he can. <laughs> I want to know why. Like, did we just pick a producer we that everybody knew? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Because it's like not I like said, film producers are really that famous, right? There's only general. Like, generally speaking, you've got like Robert Evans, Steve Mnuchin. Uh, I I don't John, know Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, yeah, like. They're but not. Bruckheimer's also a director, isn't he? No. Isn't he? No. I thought he was. I don't think so. Pretty sure not. I don't know, but uh, anyway, the, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. The the thing about it is that uh, I guess he is only a producer. I don't know why I thought he directed too. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-mm. I guess for some reason I thought he directed Con Air. No. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, no. But whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer, Steve Mnuchin, and, uh, and really, Steve Mnuchin wouldn't would not be common knowledge, but for his becoming Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, beyond that, no. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I don't know why I don't know why he decided to portray De Laurentiis as a as a murderer, but that's where we are. Uh, next week we get a, it's mostly Spider-Man next week. Um, we get, we start with the Thor annual and we end with one issue of Fantastic Four and everything is either amazing or spectacular. Okay. So that'll be good. That'll, the, you know, it's, it's one of those things of sometimes, sometimes I like a chunk of something. And sometimes yeah. I like a a smattering of different shit. We've been having a lot of smatterings lately. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to have a chunk the next week. So, so yeah. Uh, but that is it for us this week. Uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, both individually and at WatchersGuideMU. Leave us ratings and reviews uh, wherever you listen to podcasts because uh, it'll get our show in front of more people. Um, visit our website at watchersguide.com or email us at watchersguide at gmail.com. Um, have a marvelous week. Bye. Bye.